What's up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show for you lined up today. We have another slate of NFL playoff games this weekend. We're up to the NFL Divisional Round. So we'll be giving you guys our picks and breaking down our analysis of the upcoming matchups. Several of the, the number one seeds that didn't play last week now into the fray this week. Some teams coming up from some emotional wins last week now go on the road to try to repeat those efforts. So it should be a, a good uh, a good discussion to talk about some of these games this weekend. We'll also be talking about the Lakers melodrama that continues. Frank Vogel apparently on the hot seat. Interesting figures being pushed forward in terms of the power structure of the Los Angeles Lakers right now. And another embarrassing loss that happened just last night. A loss at home to the Indiana Pacers and a benching of one of their star players. So we'll talk about where the Lakers stand at this point in the NBA season. And we'll wrap the show with some news that was surprising to some people. Not necessarily as surprising to some people on this podcast. But Shaden Sharp, the teenage phenom who had reclassified and decided to enroll early into school this year. He's at the University of Kentucky. He's not played a game this season. The, the expectation is that he won't play a game this season. But Jonathan Gavoni of ESPN.com uh, posted that that the word right now and, 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 and the expectation is that he would be eligible to enter the NBA draft should he do so. Of course, there's, a, there's that age limit. You have to be 19 and a year removed from high school in order to do that. Sharp turning 19 in May and the fact that he, he left high school early essentially to start his college year apparently will make him eligible for the draft. So we'll talk about what that would mean for this draft if Shaden Sharp does indeed enter and what the hell is actually going on over there in Kentucky since he's on the team but not actually playing a game. So it's a little bit of a complicated situation. So that should be a fun uh, discussion as well. So we have a great podcast today. Kendall, of course, is my co-host. And Kendall, I got to say, we had the last week's slate of games. If you guys listened to the podcast last week, you guys heard how excited I was for NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. But to be honest, Kendall, it was anything but super. It was uh, <laughs> egregious. It was dismal. It was depressing. It was awful. And I think two years into this experiment, I think it's safe to say at this point, NFL playoff expansion to me has failed. It's failed. It's failed miserably. It's sad to see. It was something that I really didn't have much confidence in when they launched it. But when you come to these games, you see all these later games. We're not even seeing, you know, you know, three games on, on three different days or, or you know, I know that's this year they, they switched it up and had uh, one Monday night game. You know, there's excitement to that. Cause you're like, okay, cool. I want to see how this plays out. We got all these, you know, games. We're only seeing four games. Now we're seeing six. So let's see how this goes. This thing was a, 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 just, a, just a dumpster fire, you know, because you had two games in the 2-7 matchups where you talk about the Chiefs and the Steelers or whether you're talking about the, the Buccaneers and the Eagles. That was just a waste of time. Games that was just unwatchable. And those games, uh, you know, were played back-to-back. Those games were played on Sunday. So you had a whole slate of games on a whole day that you just didn't get anything out of on, on any level. Um, you know, well, there wasn't back-to-back. I'm sorry. The, the, uh, there was a game in between there. The Cowboys and 49ers, I guess, saved us from some misery. But, yeah. man, like – you're talking about two out of the three games are just completely unwatchable, and you got two teams in the playoffs that just don't belong there. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, he looks like a carcass out there, basically trying to go up against yeah. the, 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 the Ferrari that is the the, uh, the 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 Kansas City Chiefs. Jalen Hurst looking like a deer in headlights, going up against the Buccaneers and Tom Brady, defending Super Bowl champions uh, on the road. 
This is not good football. This is not good for the league. You want to see playoff games. You want to see highly competitive teams play. One of the concerns that people have about the NBA playoffs is they feel like the first round, there are too many bad matchups, and they're prolonged because those are seven-game series. So we're seeing teams that yeah. really can't compete play for you know a week or a week and a half. Even the NFL was a week-to-week thing, and we talk about the any given Sunday thing. We want to see competitive, uh, competitive play out there. We just didn't get it. We didn't get it from those games. We didn't get it from that Monday Night Football game, though that obviously would have been a match we would have seen anyway. But, man, I tell you what, this this playoff super wild card thing, they might have to reevaluate because I thought the NFL had it perfect. We kind of know who the decent teams are and who the not decent teams are. It's very rare there's a team that misses the playoffs that somehow from the previous era, we would have thought, oh, that team, if they could have got in, they would have made a run. This year, we didn't see that. We didn't see that at all, and it ended up being a waste of time. There were a lot of bad games this weekend. You know, even the Patriot game, I know they were a sixth seed, but, I mean, they just didn't let they belonged on the field. It, it was a disgrace. And they got to they gotta really reconsider whether or not this is the, continue, the way to continue because I, 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 this was bad. Yeah, I thought, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, look, we, we love the game, so of course. I'll always enjoy – you know, more football uh, is never really an issue for me. But the the, I, the only thing I'll say, um, and this is like this is the excuse that's been brought up by a lot of people, um, and it's it's flawed to a degree. But it's the devil's advocate. You know, obviously, in in these in these situations, like there were teams that didn't make the playoffs that I think would have been more competitive than the teams that did. You know, being Philly and and Pittsburgh, I mean, you look at Philly, uh, obviously they, they had a nice run at the end. They hadn't been a playoff team all year, which is what I mentioned on the show last week. I don't think they'd be a winning a team with a winning record all year, I think. Yeah, I don't think they did. Um, yeah. And so they, they were a little bit of fool's gold in the in the in in their success. Um, and so with that being said, you know, you look at a team like New Orleans, had Jameis been healthy, I mean, they almost made it anyway. But had Jameis been there... The, the trouble they give Tampa would they have been a would that have been a better game maybe not but it's possible you know um I, and I, again I'm not necessarily clamoring to have seen the yeah <laughs> you want to see the Brandon, the Brandon Staley show again for another week would that would that have, would that have changed that, and that's the thing I mean things? the Chargers the Chargers would have been I mean we've seen the Chargers go into Arrowhead and beat beat Kansas City that I mean true. I they actually would have if they there would have been the tie that everybody talked about they actually would have played the Bengals, which I think right. would have been very exciting. But and obviously the Raiders Chiefs is another conversation where oh, that yeah. would have been um a mess. But um but that that is the devil's advocate. That there is another that there was another um there are another set of teams that maybe would have been more competitive. Would Minnesota have been more competitive in that Tampa game than Philly was? I would assume Minnesota would be if Cousins and everybody and Dalvin Cook and all those guys are healthy. Um, but that's because Philly couldn't, they couldn't move the ball, you know, they, they didn't have any offense. Um, so it, I mean, though, that is, that's the other side of the coin, but, um, has expansion playoff expansion, uh, led to some of these games. Absolutely. Um, these, these, these games have been, uh, this weekend. I mean, obviously even the, the, the Buffalo game, you know, not really yeah. a of expansion, but it was just another terrible game. Yeah. <laughs> Just another terrible game. And I think about last year, 
you know, to be fair, you know, Indianapolis, they went to Buffalo last year and played a very competitive game. It was a good, it was a solid game. They only lost by three points. I remember that game. Buffalo was leading a lot, but, you know, Phil Rivers, you know, last, last stand kind of performance, he didn't embarrass himself when they went up there to Buffalo. And, you know, a new team, a young team that was, you know, their first home playoff game in a long time. But then I think about last year, that New Orleans-Chicago's game, the Nickelodeon, the Nickelodeon affair that we saw with, you know, Mitch Kubisky going away as the Nickelodeon MVP. You know, I mean, that was abysmal yeah. football. That was embarrassing. Three of the four games we've gotten in the expansion era the last two years in that 2-7 matchup has just been utterly just unwatchable football. Yeah. I don't know who what, what that serves for the league when it comes to somehow trying to uh, uh, you know, put together a product that people can appreciate and enjoy. If I was doing this, I mean, to me, I don't understand why they don't, make the worst the the team the lesser teams play each other as opposed to making you know the two and three seeds playing these terrible games like to me i don't you know i know the numbers are a little weird so i have to figure out how you would work it but i would have the wild card teams playing each other and maybe the worst divisional team having to play in this first round and then reseeding after that that's what i thought was going to happen when they announced that they were going to expand i i thought there'd be more teams getting buys which i actually didn't like but i thought made the most sense i didn't think that you would take uh, uh, take, take away, away a buy and make a team that is you know an elite level team. You're a second team in your conference. You're an elite level team, and make them play against the seventh team in the NFL in that conference. Which again, I mean, that's a, that's normally a very bad team. That's I mean, yeah, team what 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 does prove with that? Um, with that, those games, uh, like those teams, Tampa and Kansas City, in in the normal year would have had a buy. Effectively, it worked as a they, buy. Anyway. Effectively, they did have a buy. You know, <laughs> like like effectively, you know, playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger on his last game and his last stand at this point in his career, we can't throw the ball past twenty yards. We're playing against Jalen Hurts in that Eagles offense that didn't know what the hell hit them <laughs> as soon as they got on the field against Tampa Bay. That was a, essentially a buy game. You know, so they got to figure out how to rearrange the brackets for this to make sense, or just go back to six teams. Because cause the NFL playoffs, to me, was the one thing that I don't think anybody had any concerns about or any issues about. I know they saw, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know I don't know what they were kind of looking at. I think they, you know, they feel like, you know, keeping more teams into the fray makes things better for the league. And I suppose that's the case. But I think there just has to be a real understanding of, like, the NFL playoffs, unlike maybe the NBA playoffs or I'd say the NBA is probably the best comparison, like, there's an expectation that almost anybody who gets in can win a Super Bowl because we've seen it. It's kind of more like hockey where yeah. – so, so so like for all the time, we've seen six seeds go all the way and win a Super Bowl. And it's not like super surprising sometimes when it happens. Like to me, they had the perfect number with the, with the 12 teams. When you go to seven, again, I think about the teams in history that have been the seventh seed – that just missed the playoffs. I'm like, there are teams there that I thought, oh man, that team they got in, they they would have had a chance to go to a Super Bowl. You know, the NBA doesn't seem to get hurt as much by having teams that have no chance of winning a championship playing in the postseason. No. But I think the NFL does. You know, I think that the whole, especially because it's a one game elimination, I think the expectation is that everybody that's in there is fighting for their lives with a chance to host that Lombardi. You can't have teams in there that just have no chance. And they had, they clearly had two teams that had no chance, the two Pennsylvania teams. You could now, argue again, the Patriots that, were another team, but I mean now, it's just like this is ridiculous. That's that's you. I mean you're right, but you know the Chargers would have came away with if they would have came away with a tie, 
even. There would have been people picking them to beat Cincinnati. Um, right, but that, that, they would have been a sixth seed then, though. That's different. Like, nobody they would have been a sixth seed, but I'm just saying, like, they were a team that didn't make. So I'm saying, like, right, I hear you. You, could have, you could have a team that even in a seven in a seven uh, team pool that didn't make it, that people still thought would have been. Dangerous. But like, but like, the, with the, the Charger argument though is, is 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 skewed because remember the reason why they they the reason why they didn't make the playoffs was because of what they did in that last game. Yeah. Like they had issues with game management, clock management, things of that nature. That that is the reason that that played them all season. That was in the reason they didn't make the playoffs. So to say, oh, in a in another world. They would have made the playoffs. It's like, well, that's not who the Chargers are. That's not who Brandon Staley is as a coach. Yeah. So it's so like to me, like I I I I think it's a I, I get why you feel like it's a fair point to say, well, look, the Chargers are a very talented team that definitely feel like people would have felt would have been dangerous. I'm like, yeah, okay, but they didn't make the playoffs and they didn't make it because of the issues that they had. But like, even if I see what you're saying, but even if like Daniel Carlson misses that field goal and they somehow right. get it, even with the incompetence. Right. I still feel like they were I, they, people would have assumed that Cincinnati would have won. They were going in way more hot than LA was, but I think people would have been like, "This is a game. This is, a, this is an interesting match. You have two great quarterbacks, two great young quarterbacks." You know, or I mean, I don't think there's nobody that would have picked Minnesota to beat Tampa Bay, but absolutely not. Yeah, exactly. Nobody, nobody on the planet would have picked that, but. You know, again, if Jameis was healthy, would there have been people that would have been like, eh, look, the Saints give Brady problems, this and that? I don't know. Um, yeah, he's what is Minnesota, it? he meant New Orleans. New Orleans. Well, yeah, Jameis. both of them. Yeah, both right, of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, either one of those teams had no choice. Yeah, you know, those are the two that didn't make it that, or I think are probably better than Philly is. But um, but just having to not make the, make the, the playoffs. Um, what I will say is, and I, you know, um. Obviously, obviously, we have these games coming up this weekend. But mm-hmm. um, of the of the the teams that lost, because there were a lot of there. We talked about all these. We talked about the the clown show that was this weekend for yeah. a lot of these teams that lost. Like, who do you feel the worst about? Who should feel the worst? Dallas. Should, Dallas feel the worst about what happened last week. Really? I, I think even, it's, even I think more it's Dallas. Than I think that was Arizona. <laughs> I was, only, I was even going to think maybe even New England, but Dallas, New England, I think she feel really bad because, you know, uh, you know, the party's over, Grandpa. You know, shout out to Brock Lesnar. Like, sorry, <laughs> Bill Belichick. The party is over. Your reign of terror is over. You don't run this division. The division goes through Buffalo. I don't say that with much joy. I'm a Jets fan, so it's not like, <laughs> it's just to me, it's just like, you know, the 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 the, the, the reign of the city went from the kingpin you know, to to Tombstone or to some other gangster is not yeah, not right. good, but it's over for for the Patriots in terms of ever running that division again, at least anytime soon. But I, I you know, look that Tam- that that Arizona thing was bad, but it was predictable. Like I don't, I mean, was it, was anybody surprised by that? Like I no. we talked I about. Pick, I mean, I think the Cardinals go to Super Bowl. I wasn't surprised. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> we, I mean, I told you that I didn't trust Cliff Kingsbury as far as I can throw him. In fact, this team came out as a unprepared mess in the first playoff game on national TV on Monday Night Football was unsurprising to anybody. So, I mean, to feel bad about it, I just feel like you weren't watching them for the last six weeks. The only team they could beat was a clown show that is, again, the team I would say should feel worse is the Dallas Cowboys. You know, the Cardinals actually found a way to beat those clowns 
like the Dallas Cowboys, I don't even know where to begin. Between Dak Prescott wanting to blame every single aspect of the sport besides his own inept play for three and a half quarters, or the terrible clock management at the end of the game, or all the penalties, or all the big plays. I don't like I don't know where to begin with the Dallas Cowboys. But the game, as I tweeted, I said that game went exactly how I expected it to go. And it's why I picked the 49ers last week. 49ers are going to come in. They're going to punch these guys in the face. And Dallas was going to have to find a way to get up off the mat and play disciplined football in order to do that. And they've shown they can't do that. So they failed. So I think there's disappointment to me in Dallas because of the expectations being so much higher than it was in Arizona. I think Arizona... Yeah, you had thoughts of trying to go to the Super Bowl, things like that. But once you have the injuries, once you see the ineptitude of Kirk, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, you start to say, okay, maybe this team is a year away, maybe a coach away from really figuring this thing out. Dallas, I think he thought, okay, despite some of the things we saw this year, we still have the talent together, even despite the Gallup injury, to, to still win a Super Bowl, possibly. And to lose in such cartoonish fashion, and then to take the loss so poorly the way Zach Prescott did, they would be the team I'd say I'd feel terrible about. I mean, it's like a lost year. It's like a wasted year. You didn't even – You had, this is one of the most talented teams that Jerry Jones has put together. Definitely yeah, which is in the last 15 been years. A lot of, yeah, they've a lot had of talented teams. Yeah. For sure. But in the last 15 years or so, I'd say this is definitely one of the most talented teams. Well, I'm not – you know, winning Super Bowl is hard. I'm not saying that, you know, oh, if you win, you don't win Super Bowl, you're a bum. But you can't – you don't even advance past first round. You can't even, you know, beat Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, it was so much disappointing about the game. I'm even thinking about the fact that the fans were <laughs> basically it was a neutral site game for a home playoff game against a, a rival. Like, it was just all disappointment. You know, yeah. it was nothing good to come out of that Dallas situation. But it, it goes back to kind of what I've been saying was that, I mean, there's not a lot of good for any of these teams that lost to take from. I mean, the Raiders probably the only team to look back and say, hey, man, at least we, you know, gave a decent effort. Every other team that lost can't feel good about the effort they gave. Every single one. Cardinals, Steelers, Dallas, Philly, and New England. Yeah. And again, when I think about the construction of this playoff format, I'm like, if we get in performances that bad, something's got to change. Because it didn't used to be like that. Wildcard <laughs> round usually had pretty competitive games. We had almost none. That can't happen. Two, yeah, of the, I mean, two of the six games were competitive, and one of the teams that lost were a complete clown show. Yeah. So it's like it wasn't even like they played good football and they played a close game. Yeah, both of those teams the, were just they were like the on favorite, one in the uh, last the, two three minutes. The favorite, yeah, and they were favorite at home. You know, like that's the only reason they get blown out because they didn't play a better team, <laughs> right? You know, put them and they, in and, like and, and they were getting blown out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it was the 49ers that let them back in the game because you know they're a Jimmy Garoppolo led team. They so they, you know, they were the sixth team in the, in the, in the <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, to me, I, I think the team that has to feel really, really shaky is Arizona. I mean, New England, uh, I think New England knows, I think they knew the, j- the jig was up. You know, okay. I mean, I think the media and their fans did not know that. No, they didn't realize. Because, you know, last week I said, I, you know, I, I thought Buffalo was going to win, you know, even though yeah. Belichick scares me. Everybody else was shocked by that that development. I was not shocked that they got blown out. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think you can tell that they knew because of the way they played that game in in, in the first time. Yeah, the, the way they won. Crashed. 
you know, they they knew that. That wasn't yeah. it. They, they, they know they can't they can't line up and play real football and beat that team. Right, exactly. So like <laughs> so they, they, they weren't I don't think Belichick was shocked by the result. Um so with that being said, um it to me I, I Dallas obviously, you know, embarrassing loss. Um but that, you were still in a position to win the game. Like Arizona against a team that was neck and neck all season with them, a team that they viewed as on their level to to be just completely helpless for all four quarters of the game. Um, it, you have a coach in Cliff Kingsbury that people have had a lot of questions about, um, and he did not ease or answer any of those questions. Nope. Um, in, in in this game, you have a quarterback in Kyler Murray that people have a lot of questions about. Where's his head at? You know, T- Teddy Bruschi on Sunday NFL Countdown said Kyler Murray's got a little bit of front runner in. Well, what did we see on Monday? We saw a guy the first couple of drives went poorly, and he completely crumbled. Oh my God! Just so, you, you know, know I mean, you want to talk never... about you want to talk about the worst single? The, who should feel worse about their single performance? I would probably say Kyler Murray. Yeah, I mean, and that and that's why you have to feel concerned if you're a Cardinals fan or you're the organization is that we have a coach and a quarterback who are linked at the hip. They hired Cliff Kingsbury to draft Kyler Murray. They drafted Kyler Murray to play for Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, yes, you can move on from Kingsbury. Obviously, they have the same agent, so that's part of it as well. But yes, you can you can always move on from Kingsbury. But is Kyler the kind of quarterback that you want playing in a different system? I mean, I think, he, I think he's good enough to where he probably can, but like he's only he's gonna succeed the most playing in a system like Cliff Kingsbury. So then you have to find a coach who can do what Kingsbury does, but it's just a better coach than Kingsbury. Which there are other people out there like that. You know, I think Lincoln Riley's probably a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury. But you know, like those guys, you're gonna have to find probably another. I mean, Cliff, Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury's even coaching in the NFL is kind of a wild story. I mean, a man that was fired from Texas Tech. Yeah, he was a USC offensive coordinator. USC for, offensive like, coordinator. Week. Yeah, didn't actually ever call plays for USC. Yeah, but was there? He was hired the same in the same hiring cycle. He was hired by USC to be the OC, and the Cardinals was like, actually, we'll make him the head coach. You want to make him the head football coach? Uh, <laughs> and this was before, obviously, they even drafted Kyle Murray. You know, I think we all now know the plan was that hey, he he would like Murray, so him and Murray be a good fit. I mean, look, I we thought I was talking about it with some guys over at uh, CBS Sports Radio, like. I totally think that Cliff Kingsbury should have been on the hot seat, you know, going into that game. If You're I was right. if I was running the the Cardinals, I would have fired Cliff Kingsbury after what I saw. I didn't I, like I mean, the way he. I mean, you uh, you know, he, he didn't look like he had an answer. He just didn't look like he he knew what he was doing. He just had no answer, no adjustments, and and there's something when when I start to see the quarterback start to make the desperation play, that scares me in terms of the preparation. Because my You're thing right. is where where is the adjustments. Where is the being disciplined when the quarterback has to resort to being back in his end zone and throwing an underhanded blind? He he he's that unsure of what he's seeing out there on the field that he has to go to that kind of desperation. And what I didn't in the first, see was, in the first half. I mean that that tells me that you're, you the, the the system and the game plan that you have has completely been about you know obliterated in the first couple of minutes, and you, he, they don't got an answer for any kind of adjustments to to change the tide of what, how things were going. And what I didn't see was a an adjustment to the personnel that they had because clearly they 
without Hopkins, they had to play a certain style of football. Um, they tried to do the, you know, we're just going to play this kind of, you know, this these scatbacks and Kirk and Rondell Moore and feature these guys. That stuff wasn't working. And they didn't, they didn't then, they couldn't then shift to saying maybe we'll play a more physical style of football. Right. Maybe we'll play They need, they need to employ the, the Dallas Cowboy game plan. The game plan right, they used exactly. against Dallas should have been the game should have been exactly. similar to to this. I mean Antoine Wesley, you talked about that Dallas game. Antoine Wesley's a big six five receiver that came out of nowhere that played for Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech, had two touchdowns in that Cowboys game. He didn't he barely got a target. I, was, I don't know if he got a target in that last game. Yeah. I am watching this game, I'm like, where is he? And then I see him on a couple couple of snaps. He's out there. I'm like, where's this guy been? Yeah, yeah two targets. He played great game. for them down the stretch. And then he, what'd you say? He had two targets? Two targets for the whole game. Yeah. Two targets the whole game. I'm like, Rondo Moore's been hurt and he's like being featured. He didn't do anything for them. Yeah. At some point you gotta get away from that and play a different style of football. But you know, there there was no adjustment. Um so yeah, that that's what concerns me. Not even the performance was bad, but where do you go from here? You know, like yes, you can fire Kingsbury, but then what do you do with Kyler? Obviously he has to be the guy, but you know, this is Kyler Kyler without Kingsbury. You know, though that I just, I just don't. But I, just, I think to me now, this was my problem. They hired Cliff was I don't believe this notion that you can't have somebody that could run, you know, you know, an offense that's that's catered towards Kyler and, and not be so not be Cliff Kingsbury. Like I saw, you know, it was actually crazy today. There was a, a, a you know, post someone posted a tweet about how the Washington football team uh, at one point had on their coaching staff Sean McVay. Uh, yes, I was looking at it last night. LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan. 2013, yeah, all was, of them. Yeah. LaFleur was the QB coach. McVay was tight ends. Shanahan uh, was OC calling plays. Yeah, Shanahan was OC. Mike McDaniel, who's the who's offensive coordinator with San Francisco, who might be a head coach next year, he was the wide receivers coach. Yes. So they and, had potentially four. And Raheem Morris was on the defensive staff. I mean, yeah. yeah. Mike crazy. Shanahan that knew how to coach staff. staff. Yeah, it was a great stab, and somehow they went three and thirteen that year. But Jesus Christ! Yes, yeah, but you know, know I, I, I do a lot of research. That I was like, what happened? And I remember RG three was trying to sabotage them. It was a mess. But anyway, the reason why I bring that up is because I think about the year prior and right. how RG three took the lead by storm. He had one of the greatest rookie seasons of all time, and you had Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, these guys, West Coast offense, zone running scheme type of coaches that some. They found out in a week they had to figure out how to learn how to do the pistol. They were like, all right, we got to learn the pistol. We got to learn how to do the spread stuff. And this is how we're going to play this season. I saw uh, Greg Roman, another guy, West Coast scheme type of you know background. He's like, all right, I have RG3. I have, you know, I mean, not RG, I'm sorry, Lamar Jackson. I don't, I don't care how we've been playing with Lamar, with, with, uh, with Joe Flacco all season. Now that Lamar's in, all right, we're just doing pistol stuff. We're doing re-option stuff we're doing rpo stuff all the rest of the year like this notion that only people who coached in college can somehow do the stuff that the college coaches do the stuff they do the college coaches do aren't that complicated it really isn't yeah that's why some guys never succeed in the nfl yeah so that's the problem i've had with this whole we gotta keep kingsbury because of kyler it's like you can find somebody that can run the kyler offense you need somebody that can manage a roster and manage a game and, 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 and be able to be more flexible within games when game plans don't go well, he has proven time and time again he's not that guy. And, and also, clearly, it slants. It's the continued slant, but, you know, and bias, even in my head, towards offensive coaches. 
Because obviously you can just hire a defensive coach. Right. And then hire an OC that can run that stuff. That runs that. You can get, hire some guy from college. You say, yeah, yeah, you're going to be my office coordinator. You know, and that's obviously not the uh, the primary thought is when you're thinking about building an offense, you think about, well, who's the head coach? But if the head coach is a, a strictly defensive guy, then it really doesn't matter. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things that could be, this is there's a lot of things that that, that could be done to, to fix that situation. I, I just don't buy this notion that you just got you're just you're just tethered to, so to the, on, to the only thing that of Kyler Murray. I don't buy the that. only devil's advocate for in, in favor of Arizona or why you shouldn't panic is obviously they didn't have Hopkins. I don't think yeah yeah he's, yeah you know that's a big deal. But as bad as they look, Hopkins wasn't changing anything. I don't I don't think so either. I think they still lose that game by at least two or three touchdowns. Yeah, that looked like a the game plan we came into today was just terrible, and we don't have an adjustment. That didn't look and like also, a, we, had, really, we had a different player here or there that we would have won this game. And right before we get to the to the divisional game, yeah. really good coaching job by Sean McVay. That was one of the – I mean, oh, yeah. Masterclass. he made a couple of key challenges – you know he the the challenge on the on the on the Stafford touchdown, um, that was third down. If they don't get that, yeah, that was huge. Do they go for it? If they yeah. go for it and they get stopped, that's a huge momentum yeah. shift. Not, not they, sure if I loved all those QB goal. sneaks, considering how bad Stafford was at them. But it was yeah, like a I know, right? But like challenging that play, it might be the difference between four or seven points. And then the challenge on the AJ Green catch. Yes. So it was at 18 yards. It looked like it was a catch. They decided to challenge it. I, I wasn't sure about the reversal, but it got reversed. Excellent challenge. And then the next play is a pick six. Yeah, it changed the whole game. It changed the entire. At that point, the game's over. Yeah. So I mean, McVay. I mean, his challenges. His challenges were responsible for seven points. Yes. I mean, it should be 14. 14 points. I'm sorry. Yeah. 14 points. Two touchdowns. I mean, I mean that they, they won by. 23 points. I mean, 14, that's a huge deal. It's those yeah. 14 points don't come at those times. I mean, you know, that the, the game could be different, you know? I mean, yeah. I, I doubt it because, again, what I saw from Arizona. But, you, you know, he, was, he wasn't going to be the reason why they didn't lose that game. And they didn't maximize their effort in that game. And I even thought some of the some of the, the coaching, the way he got Odell going, the way he's totally just, obli- just he totally just dismantled. And, I, you know, I think Vance Joseph has done a good job with the Carlos defense. But, you know, they, they decided early on we're going to try to take away Cooper Cup. And the way that he really attacked them by really making uh, Odell Beckham a, a, a real factor in the first few drives of that game, he didn't do much in the second half, but he didn't have to. He already had he already had nuked them for these big plays to the point where now they had to adjust. And then Cooper Cup ended up getting back into the game, and the other guys started getting going. But it was a it was a it was just a great job all around. The defense was spectacular as well. Just a, a really solid performance by the Rams. But let, let's talk about. This, uh, these divisional games we got this week, Kendall. So um, we continue to separate the contenders from the pretenders in the National Football League as we barrel towards another slate of NFL playoff games. Divisional round games start this weekend with the Packers and Titans entering the fray on Saturday as number one seeds in their respective conferences. Tennessee hosts Cincinnati, who secured its first playoff win in 31 years last week. Kendall, I, I looked it up. The last time the Bengals won a playoff game, Warren Moon was playing quarterback for the Oilers, and they had went to Cincinnati and lost. I think it was like forty-one to thirteen. Um, well before I was born, a couple of months before I was born. Well, years before you were born. So, people in Cincinnati obviously very happy to have that win. They now have a second crack at getting another win when they go to Tennessee. Meanwhile, the Packers take on the San Francisco 49ers at Lambeau Field. Before we get to the Sunday games, Ken, I want to just talk about these two games real quick. 
which of these two teams in terms of the number one seeds do you feel is most vulnerable heading into this week? Uh, in terms of the number one seeds, I'll absolutely t- uh, Tennessee. Um, I agree. You know, and I think that that's probably uh, conventional wisdom. Um, there are some people that, you know, really liked what they saw from San Francisco last week. Um, and I don't think Cincinnati played particularly great. Um, I thought Burrow was great in the first half. But as a team, I don't think they played a great game. I would. That's how I would couch it for me. Yes. Um, and you know, they, I think they have a higher ceiling than what they showed. Um, does that matter? You know, uh, you know, I mean, Arizona had a quote unquote high ceiling, but (laughs) we didn't see it play itself out. But with that being said, um, this Tennessee team, I mean, they, they're a weird team because, you know, we're, we're looking at them based off what they've done all year. Um, and they've got they got hot late without Derrick Henry when AJ Brown came back. There were stretches where throughout the season where they looked very mediocre. Dealt with a ton of injuries. Julio was out multiple weeks. AJ Brown out multiple weeks. Derrick Henry obviously out out for the latter part of the season. And they they never were able to stay healthy. Well, this is the closest. This is the most healthy they've been all year. So take that for for what it's worth will this team look like the team that we thought could be a super bowl contender coming into it um with with all their guys back with that the the problem to me is you know like i don't i don't think green bay is gonna lose the game that's really it's not really about tennessee yeah i think more so i just think green bay um i don't think they're gonna have much trouble with san francisco um I, I think Rodgers uh, Rogers just so much better than Garoppolo. Um, he's also so much better than Dak, you know? I mean, Dak couldn't exploit the issues that uh, <laughs> that San Francisco was having offensively because he was playing one of his worst games. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel pretty good about... Um, I feel pretty good about, uh, about, you know, Green Bay. So Tennessee is the team that I would be more concerned about. Because yeah, they're going up against a better team. Yeah, I would go with Tennessee as well. Uh, shout out to Mike Vrabel. Shout out to Ryan Tannehill. I mean, I think they did a great job of maneuvering through these injuries this season to still come out and become the number one seed in the AFC. That's, you know, certainly not a, a small task, even if, you know, we and you both talked about how we thought the AFC was a little bit of a JV league this year. We, we both believe in the Chiefs, and they were able to still, still finish ahead of the Chiefs. So credit what credit is due. But I think even beyond, we could talk about the you know the Packers feeling like a you know a, a true Super Bowl contender. So maybe you don't really believe much that the Niners can go in there. But I actually really think that the Titans can be in trouble because of this matchup, not having anything to do with the Packers. When you pour into the numbers, Kendall of of the the Titans season, because they're a very fascinating team. You know they've had these injuries to these mega stars on their offense, and you know you see Ronnie Tannehill's a quarterback. He's kind of a pedestrian quarterback. And, you know, their defense has had problems in the secondary. So you're like, okay, how does a team with <laughs> all these issues win, you know, 13 or 12, how many games they won? And the Titans this year finished 25th against the pass, but they were 10th in interceptions and 9th in sacks. So that was interesting to me. So I'm like, okay, they're getting up a lot of yards, but they're finding a way to make big plays. But when you pour closer into those defensive numbers by Tennessee, they're also second against the run. 
they do a good job running the ball. I think a lot of this has to do with really more scheme than it is the actual players. Because despite being ninth in sacks, and they've, they've got some decent pass rushers, they were only 20th in the NFL in QB pressure, uh, QB pressure percentage. When you talk about you know sacks combined with hits on the quarterback and pressures, you combine all those numbers, they were getting sacks, but they weren't necessarily getting the hits on the pressure on the quarterback the way you expect, given those sack numbers. The t- Cincinnati was 14th in QB pressure percentage, even though they had less sacks than Tennessee did this year. Um, yeah. te- the Bengals also have a fifth-ranked run defense. We know Tennessee likes to run the football. So the Bengals will be able to run. They, they may be able to kind of, uh, you know, be stout against the run with Derrick Henry coming back. And I don't know if I necessarily believe in the Titans in terms of their defense and their ability to, to be effective against Cincinnati because Cincinnati has a bad offensive line. We all know that. But these pressure numbers are kind of pedestrian when we take off the sacks. And a lot of it, I think, is because of, again, scheme. A lot of it is... Uh, you know, you know, Mike Rabel does a good job of disguise, disguising coverages, disguising things. These are a lot of coverage sacks that this team is getting. But at, to me, if you're not going to get to the quarterback effectively, and you got Jamar Chase and Higgins and and Boyd running around out there with those guys, that's a problem. And the Titans being second against the run defense, that's not going to matter against Cincinnati. Cincinnati's one of the worst running teams in the NFL, so that 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 doesn't really do much to me in this game. I think this is a bad matchup. For the Titans, because I think because I think teams that are going to be effective against Cincinnati are teams that can stop the run and can can get after their quarterback. The question will be, can Joe Burrow take care of the football? And that's going to be really to me the game. If Joe Burrow gets into this kind of turnover bag, which we see every now and then, that's going to be a problem. But I think there's a chance the offensive line holds up because I think the Titans pass rush is overrated and. I know those receivers are going to beat these guys one-on-one on the outside. I know that. So I think yeah. this is a, a tough matchup for the Titans. So I think because of those reasons, and when you look at kind of, you kind of take out some of the glossy players and the glossy numbers we've seen from Tennessee and kind of look deeper into the numbers, particularly defensively, there's a lot of reasons to think why Cincinnati might have success this week. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it'll, it'll, it's going to be interesting also, um, See what does Derrick Henry look like? Um, right, and 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 that's that's the thing too. When I saw, you know, I think the Bengals defense, the run defense, hasn't gotten enough credit this year, being top five in the NFL. And you know, Derrick Henry, we know the guy isn't like an alien, but he is coming off a serious foot injury, and this is his first game back. I don't know what to expect from him in that kind of situation. I would, I think, you know, I think the Bengals would say, "I'll take my top five run defense." against Derrick Henry under these circumstances than playing against him in week two when he's healthy, you know? Yeah. I, you know, that, so, so there's, this is, this is a, this is a, to me, a very interesting matchup this week. The Bengals, sometimes their defense hasn't traveled as well on the road at times during this year. They didn't play well against Chicago early in the year. They had a terrible loss to the Jets. So that would concern me a little bit, but I don't know. I think there's some, again, there's some signs here to suggest that Cincinnati may be a good matchup here. You know, the Packers game, I don't like seeing, uh, Bakhtiari not practicing today. <laughs> that 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 does worry me a little bit when I think about the 49ers who have a legit pass rush. Like th- their QB pressure numbers are very good. So I mean, they're not a fake. Oh, we have a lot of sacks, but we don't really actually get pressure on the quarterback kind of team. They were like near the top of the league in pressure percentage and sacks, even though they're 29th in blitz percentage. They don't even blitz teams, and they're getting home. So 
uh, Rodgers is probably going to face a little bit of heat, but they can run the ball a little bit, a lot better than Dallas has been able to do recently. So I think that'll keep uh, the 49ers pass rushes maybe to slow them down a little bit. And one big thing I have about that game that would concern me for the Niners is when the Packers beat them early in the year in that thriller in uh, in, in San Francisco early this year, or I guess in Santa Clara, um, the Packers won the turnover differential 2-0 to zero in that game. And both turnovers were committed by Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, and yeah. we saw, you know, the Garoppolo turnovers almost cost him the game against Dallas. So that, you know, now he's going on the road in Grant Lambeau Field. You know, it's going to be much worse weather conditions than what he was dealing with, obviously, in a dome in Green Bay. That would concern me a bit. I think if they lose a turnover battle against Green Bay, they will not win the game. It's going to be that simple. Yeah, exactly. Um, Garoppolo is, is the thing that scares me the most uh, in this matchup, no doubt. Um you know, I do uh, – obviously, you do like Shanahan, McDaniel. You really like Debo Samuel um, uh, as, a, as a, you know, whatever you want to call him, uh, yeah, so offensive. An amoeba, an amoeba offensive weapon. You know? Exactly. Um, but – and I think that will help them a lot in what are going to be obviously very cold conditions. But um, – but I just don't think they're going to consistently be able to score against this team. Um, and that's what I think they're going to need to do. Um, Green Bay's offense, for the most part, you know, they're pretty, pretty, pretty consistent. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not very concerned about that game. Um, let's talk about those other two games because you know the fun will continue on Sunday. The Rams travel to Tampa, take on the Bucks, the Bills, and Chiefs play an AFC Championship rematch at Arrowhead Stadium. An interesting note about these road teams going into these two games, both of them handled their opponents in early season matchups. The Rams throttled the Bucks in week three. The Bills uh, went into KC and blew out the Chiefs in week four. So obviously, Kendall, a lot has changed since then. Uh, which of these road underdogs do you feel like is capable of repeating that early success on Sunday? Uh, I, think, I think Buffalo uh, mm-hmm. is, is, you know I mean? Well, I picked them to win the AFC, so it's not, uh, right. you know, last week. Um, so it's not yeah, – I wasn't, certainly wasn't shocked by what happened in that last game. Um, but, I, but I do think uh, – but I do think that this Buffalo team is, is, is probably the best uh, challenge for what Kansas City presents. Uh, they have a quarterback that I think can go shot for shot with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, they have a – uh, defense that turns that can turn you over, um, and we know that that's where Patrick Mahomes is vulnerable. Um, I don't think they're going to have much success running the football. I mean, uh, Jerry McKinnon ran the ball well last week, um, but can they can they consistently do that? Uh, that's a question. So, um, yeah, and Clyde Edwards-Helaire is coming back, but I, I, I still uh, I still am not. Uh, yeah yeah i think that the bills would be the team as well rams look really good i gotta admit they look really good they look like a team that maybe they kind of were just waiting to get to these playoffs um the bucks the bucks had a weird performance in that eagles game it was you know they kind of started to get going a little bit but the eagles defense i thought showed a little bit more fight than maybe i expected them to so i would go with the bills as well uh, the Bills have an elite-level defense, and 
The Bills are also very good at taking the ball away. And when the Chiefs have gotten into trouble this year, it's been when Patrick Mahomes has gotten loose with the football. He's been very, very good during this kind of winning streak of not being as careless with the ball. But we know he, you know, he's a big gamble kind of player. He's always going for the big play. So it's just hard to kind of uh it's hard to kind of see, you know, you know, him just not being just totally not taking risk or, or, or not putting himself maybe in some dangerous positions. So I would say the Bills would be the team that I would be uh feel like they're more capable of making that making that uh making that play and maybe pulling off another upset. So let's do predictions this week, Kendall. So we got Bengals at Titans, uh Titans favorite at three and a half. Who you got this week? Um I Bengals Titans, I've got the Bengals. Uh, I think Joe Burrow um, outplays Ryan Tannehill. Um, and I, I don't think this will be super high scoring, but I, I think Cincinnati will will pull away. I think there will be too many explosive plays um, made by Higgins and Chase. Uh, I'll go Bengals uh, 27, Titans uh, 17. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Bengals here. I think that this is, as I alluded to, I think this is not the greatest matchup for Tennessee. Bengals go on the road, a very young team against a, a, a very good coach, a pretty veteran team. Scares me a little bit, but I'm going I'm to be a little bit of a risk taker this week. I'm going to say that the, the stuff that you know I talked about earlier in this podcast will, will bear out. I don't know if the Titans will get the kind of pressure that maybe people will expect them to get on Joe Burrow. And if Joe Burrow actually has time to hold on to the ball against that secondary, I think he's going to make plays because he has a much better receivers than the Titans have secondary players. So I'm going to go with the Bengals winning a tight one. They'll probably win. I think it's going to be very close. I think it's going to be like a you know like a 27-26 kind of game. I think it's that that close. 49ers at Packers, Kendall. You seem to pretty make it make it clear that you think the Packers will take this one. They're five and a half point favorite. Uh, what do you got with this one? Um. This is uh which game? This is forty nine is Packers. Okay, Packers were in. Um, yeah, I I like the Packers. Um, I, you know I don't think that this will be much of a much of a challenge. The only thing that scares you is if you know if it stays close, if it stays you know low scoring. Distance, yeah, you know it's, it's San Francisco's got to get the running game established, run the clock. You know, but I, I just don't think that that's. I mean, it's, it's what the New England strategy was supposed to be last week. Yeah. Um, but if if you can run the clock, I mean, the the Bills didn't have a whole lot of possessions. They had seven possessions. They just, yeah, they like, just scored, scored on all of them, on every single one. <laughs> so they still let them off. So yeah, that's the that that's the concern. You know, you have to be able to stop from the other end. Um, Patriots had a pretty good defense. Niners have a pretty good defense. But if you're playing against a great quarterback who's locked in, I don't think it'll matter. Um, I've got Green Bay 31, Niners uh, 17. Yeah, I got the Packers winning this one. Uh, the Packers, pretty decent against the run, 10th against the run. We know the 49ers are going to want to run the football. I expect them to take that away. I think the Packers will be able to get some turnovers here on Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm going to go with the Packers winning this one. I think it's going to be pretty convincing. I'll say 30 to 16. Um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe for half it's, uh, it's close. But um, but I'll, I'll say I'll say for now I'll say thirty sixteen. We'll go with the uh, Packers here. Rams at Buccaneers. I'll go first on this one. I'm gonna go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's uh, it, it's 
it comes down to trusting Matthew Stafford, man. Like, it, we said he had the most to prove last week, and he answered the bell. He had a very good game. You know, this, I think, is going to be a much different task against a much better defense, um, a much better pass rush. And I think the Buccaneers had a pretty good week of, you know, like almost like an exhibition game. You play against a team that's so, uh, you know, that's just so undermanned. And just, you know, I know, they just don't have the kind of talent to compete at that level. I think that the Rams, you know, they they made the charge. They made the Cardinals look like they didn't have the kind of talent to compete. So maybe fair is fair on that level. But I, I, think, I think the Bucks, you know, will learn a lot from that early game this year. A lot of it came down to the fact that they didn't protect as well. They did have some guys get nicked up during that game against the Eagles. I didn't like seeing Jensen go down. I didn't like seeing, uh, uh, you know, the tackle, uh, Worfs, yeah. uh go down. So that's something to keep an eye on. But I think the Bucks defense will make some big plays here. And I think that they'll have a lot better of a time kind of covering the uh, the schemes and, and putting pressure on Matthew Stafford. They are one of the most aggressive teams when it comes to blitzing. So it's going to be – there are going to be plays to be made – in this game, the question is, is Matt Stafford going to step up and make these throws? I'm going to believe it when I see it, when it comes to him in the postseason. So far, he's proven me right. And I say that, it's again, saying that I picked the Rams to go to the Super Bowl for the season. But, uh, and win it, I think, actually. But but I, I still got to believe it to see it. So, I'm going to say the Bucs win this one. Um, I think they win pretty convincing as well. I'll say 30 to 20. Yeah. Um this one was interesting because I feel like the Rams remember last week I said, whoever won that Raiders Bengals game was going to come away being like, Oh, well this team is, can they go all the way? Um, yeah. I feel like the Rams won the game where it was like, every team lost that game. Be like, ah, here we go again with, with, with these guys. Right. Um, well the Rams won, you know, Cardinals, we didn't feel, we would have felt great regardless um, of who won the game. And that's the, that's that's where I think the Rams are at. Where it's like, did do we did we really find out anything about the the Rams, or was it just that the Cardinals were so were so just so inept and so shell shocked that it didn't matter how the, well they played? Um, this is the real game where we find out whether or not the Rams are for real or not. If they can beat Tom Brady, yes, there are the injuries. Yes, there are uh, the guys like AB that aren't there, but this is still Tom Brady. We saw this team look. Great offensively for now two weeks in a row uh, against inferior competition, but still um, NFL competition nonetheless. Uh, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go with with Tampa Bay, but uh, you know I, I I again I trust Brady more than I trust Stafford. Uh, Leonard Fournette being back is going to only make this team uh, more balanced offensively than they were last week. Um, although we saw nice, nice snaps from Gio Bernard as well, yeah, coming back from injury. So, um, and Keyshawn Vaughn's running the ball well. Um, but I'll go the Bucks. Shout out to Cam um, Akers though, uh, his return. Oh man, Cam Akers. I mean, I've never seen a guy story. come back from an injury so early like that and look so dynamic. Yeah, I mean, like he's, like, like, it's like he's made of adamantium. Like I don't know how you come back from a <laughs> torn Achilles in six months, five months, whatever he did. I mean, yeah. it's just absurd. Shout yes. out to that! Shout out to that young man. Um, and great to see him out there playing so well. And he adds a double dimension to that offense. You know, yes, the, they badly the needed some physical running game as yeah, well. The Rams are a very finesse team. They haven't been able to really run the ball physically against a lot of teams. Michelle started to kind of pick it up a little bit, but you know, Cam Akers is a whole different beast if he's healthy. And he looked healthy, as crazy as that sounds, like for a guy coming from a torn Achilles this year. 
so so I get that. Last game, Chiefs, Bills. I got to pick a road team somewhere. This is where I'm going to do it. I'm going to say the Bills go into Kansas City, exercise some demons from last year. I'm going to say they beat the Chiefs this week, and I think it will be a great game. I don't think this is going to be a game where we say, oh, the Chiefs you know, didn't show up or whatever. I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I think that, um, that I expect both quarterbacks to make big plays. But I think the difference is going to be, I think, the turnovers, you know, and it's crazy to look at a game and, you know, say Josh Allen against another elite quarterback, say, well, I'm worried about the turnovers for the other team. But that's that's what worries me. Again, the Bills, they can make some plays. I mean, some of the picks that they were making in that game against the the, pay, the Pats, and these are spectacular plays, you know what I'm saying? Like, and in credit to them, because a couple weeks ago, I said that, you know, I thought that losing Dravion, Tredavious White was going to be kind of the end of their secondary being elite. I mean, I couldn't have been more wrong if anything. If last week was any indication, now this is a different team. Like I said, they were playing a team last week that couldn't play real football against them. But I do think the Patriots can play real defense, and they had no answer, no answer in zero degree weather against that Bills offense. I think the Bills offense is for real, and they're going to light up the Chiefs on uh, uh, this upcoming week. I thought the Chiefs defense showed some cracks even against the Steelers in the second half. You know, so um, a good game. Let's say it's a 37 36 kind of game, but I'm going with the Bills at uh stealing one on the road. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one. Uh I, I've got the Bills as well. Um I don't feel great about it. Uh even though I did pick them to win the to to win the, the AFC. Uh but this is this is gonna be a tough one. It's a tough game. Yeah, Kansas no City question. played really well, obviously, in the second half of that Pittsburgh game. But the first half spooked me a little bit. Um, yeah, first quarter, they were just abysmal. Yeah, in the first quarter especially. Um, you know, obviously Pittsburgh has a – they have a championship-level defense. So that's, I guess, nothing to be, you know, embarrassed about. But um, but to me, I feel like if they would have faced a team that presented any sort of challenge offensively, that would have been a real game. And yeah. You know, it, 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 honestly, this one is more just about. Uh, I, you know, at some point, this team's gonna get. They're gonna get clipped. You know, luck. Only, your luck only runs, but for so long, uh, in this league, and I, I, I'd be surprised if they can, if they can go another year unscathed in the AFC. If there's any team that's gonna beat them, it's gonna be this team. If not, yeah. and it just the shot. Bills strike me as of all the teams in the NFL and all the teams that played so far in the playoffs, they strike me as a team that was waiting for the playoffs. I told you about how I was like some of the stuff I've been seeing from them recently. I'm like, like, what are they doing? They don't look like they're all there. They're not playing with the same kind of fire and the same kind of concentration you would expect, even though they're winning some of these games late in the season. I said that a couple weeks ago. I was like, I don't know how I feel about the Bills. Again, that dump demolition of the Patriots. Kind of just I, that put me on notice, man. Like I, I think that that to me looked like a team that would say we just we just trying to get ready for the postseason when we're ready. We're we're, we're smashing everybody, and yeah. I I don't think that that blowout they had in the AFC Championship last year. I don't think the Chiefs are that much better than the Bills are. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't I don't I think that right. that was a team that was experienced against a team that wasn't experienced that took advantage of that. I think we saw early in the season that the the, the story had changed with the way the Bills beat them earlier this season. I think, again, I expect a really close game, but I think the Bills are going to find a way to get it done in Arrowhead. Yeah, I've got Bills uh, Bills 38, uh, Chiefs 34. 
both of us have the game up in the 30s there. So we spoke expecting a high-scoring game there. Let's talk about the Lakers, Kendall. The soap opera continues in Los Angeles after what has been a tumultuous week for the Lakers. Let's stress the positive first, shall we? So after a 37-point loss to the Nuggets on Saturday, the Lakers rebounded for a feel-good win over the Jazz on Tuesday. Russell Westbrook even turned back the clock with a show-stopping dunk over reigning Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert. But with following that win came a report from The Athletic that Frank Vogel's job status was being monitored on a, quote, game-to-game basis. According to Bill Oram and Sam Emmerich, sources close to the team say Vogel was nearly fired after the Denver loss and remains at risk to lose his job if the team doesn't turn things around soon. The duo also reports that the coaching staff was told early in the season by former Lakers player and current director of basketball affairs, Kurt Rambis, that it was under pressure to turn things around. A day after that report from The Athletic, an LA Times article came out with sources now claiming there were no plans in place to fire Vogel and uh, adds that the temperature is rising and that Rambis has become increasingly involved in coaching meetings in recent weeks. That came then came last night. The Lakers blew a 15-point first quarter lead to lose to the Indiana Pacers at home. The Pacers were playing without star center Miles Turner, who's out with a stress factor in his foot. That will certainly have implications for the trade deadline you would expect. Meanwhile, Russell Westbrook was benched for the final four minutes of that game after posting another putrid shooting performance where he went 5-for-17 from the field. That was despite making four threes this, uh, last night. He was 4-for-6 from three, but he still somehow shot 5-for-17. Kendall, the Lakers season remains in serious turmoil, and we are well past the halfway point of the season. Do you believe there is any way the Lakers can turn this around? Um, is there any way the Lakers can turn this around? No. Uh, no. <laughs> <Simple enough. laughs> no. This is uh, this is over. Um, and this is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, really, what, turning it around in my in my vantage point is not turning around what's going on in the court is turning around the expectations of the fan base and of the front franchise to understand that, like I mentioned, not everybody's going to win a championship. Not everybody's going to compete for a title. And, you know, not everybody's in it. As a Celtics fan, I understand. We're not going to win a championship this season. It, 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 it saddens me that we're tied at, at, at 17 with the Lakers and we're not going to get Banner 18 in the 2022 NBA 2021-2022 NBA season, but it's not happening. So we got to look to next season. We got to look to the year after that and see how do we how can we get position ourselves to be a championship contender in the coming years because it's not going to happen this year. Um, and not doing anything stupid that'll to try and get in that mix that'll hurt our chances of winning it in the future. Um, the Lakers, I don't think it's possible. I mean, getting Anthony Davis back is a big deal. What we're seeing, the product that we're seeing on the court right now without any Anthony Davis isn't what this team is all the time. But right now, they're a below average to average basketball team. You get Anthony Davis back, you're an average to above average basketball team. Like, you're not a championship level team. And so if that's the expectation, it's over. The expectation is, is it over to make the playoffs? No, I mean, they can, they can make the playoffs. Um, but... I don't think that that's what we're talking about. You don't fire Frank Vogel, who's won a championship, because you're upset that, you know, because you're upset they're not going to, you know, make the playoffs, or because you, you're, you're, you, you know, you're, you. I think they understand they can make the playoffs. They're upset that they're not competing for championships, and I think that that is 
I think that that's unrealistic, and I think that that is uh, where we're at with this team. And I, I don't really, I don't really get it. But it's it's the whole big market thing. That's what that's the yeah you know that's the catch twenty two. Is that yes, you're in a big market, and yes, it would be easier to attract free agents. But with that becomes comes pressure. With that comes expectation, and a lot of times unrealistic. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I share your sentiments that the turn this thing around is going to be a a com- very tall order. Uh, I don't want to say that there's no way they can turn it around only because Anthony Davis is such a great talent and he's not played to his potential when he's been out there. Now, him coming back from an injury, do I expect him to be Anthony Davis in 2020, 2021? Uh, you know, maybe that's unfair and un- unlikely or rather 2019, 2020. Um, maybe that's unfair, unlikely, given you know that season he had where he was up there for Defensive Player of the Year and up there for MVP his first year with the Lakers. He was just a dominant player. Um, he's not played at that level this season. Now he's coming back from the MCL sprain, so it might not be fair to say that you know if AD can play at that level. The Lakers can turn this around. I, I think that the Lakers are still one of those teams where you want to kind of just get to the playoffs and hope that you get a decent matchup. And with LeBron and maybe AD playing at a super, super high level, that bubble level that they were playing at two years ago, maybe you could turn this around. Because LeBron has put up just astronomical numbers during this stretch. I mean, it's it's, it's striking. This feels like LeBron in his second year playing for the Cavs. When he was putting up crazy numbers, but the team was, like, really bad. So, like, he was putting up 37 in, like, 20-point losses. Like, that was happening in his second year. To see that in year 17 or whatever, 18, whatever the hell the year he is at this point, 19, it's, like, mind-boggling. I'm like, I'm looking at these box scores. And I'm like, this guy has 35 points. They lost by 15. Like, he had 35, he had 36, 8, and 10. They ain't losing by 20. Like, it, it, it's crazy. And, and and so he has shown he can still produce at a high level. If AD can match that production, maybe something can happen. But I think the problem is what people keep saying is the roster is constructed so poorly. And it doesn't give me much confidence that the person that seems to be kind of leading the communication and trying to fix things is, of all people, Kurt freaking Rambis. I mean, are you serious, Los Angeles Lakers? I know uh, Linda Rambis has a very good relationship with Jeannie Buss. I think they're, like, almost best friends for, from what I understand. And, yes. of course, you know, you know, Linda Rambis has worked in the organization for a long time. You know, Kurt Rambis, of course, has been around the league for a long time. But anybody taking advice from Kurt Rambis on basketball in 2002 on a professional level, you, you need to seek help. I mean, yeah. are you serious? <laughs> are you? What are we talking about? Kurt Rambis, the Knicks Kurt Rambis that I saw, who couldn't manage his way out of a paper bag? Or are we talking about the Minnesota Kurt Rambis? that basically began the process of running Kevin Love out of town. This guy has been relevant to basketball success in at least 20 years. At least. And that's being kind. Like, that that that, that makes me highly concerned that, you know, they, and, and apparently the push from him is they need to play, you know, more centers. They need to play a more conventional lineup. They need to play more conventional basketball. But the roster... It's not constructed for them to really do that because their centers stink. Um, and they have a point guard who can't stretch the floor. So you're yeah. not getting shooting from your center. You're not getting shooting from your point guard position. And your best asset is LeBron James, who's best utilized when he's able to spread the ball around to various shooters. And they want to play conventional basketball with a center and, and a point guard who can't shoot. 
Like, what's what's going on over there? So that's the part when I say, okay, is there any chance where I kind of lean, okay, maybe there is no chance because that's how they want to play. That's not going to work. And I just got to say, Kendall, this Russell Westbrook thing, unmitigated disaster. A disastrous experiment. I don't really care who you want to blame. People want to blame Russ and then the people that, you know, like Russ are like, oh, y'all being too hard on Russ. What about this all stuff? It doesn't really matter. Point is, this thing has been a complete failure. It was a terrible job by Rob Palenka and whoever else signed off on that deal to think that trading a championship caliber nucleus for Russell Westbrook at this point in this stage of his career was smart business. Because it's not necessarily, again, about him. We know what he is. We know he's going to have these terrible shooting performances. We know he's going to play subpar defense. We know at times he's going to have these explosive performances. He's going to have these big plays. And, and, and that he can make winning plays at times. We know that. We know he's a very Jekyll and Hyde kind of player. The last thing the Lakers need, given all their injuries, the age on the roster, so you're worried about availability and reliability of the guys, the last thing they needed was a wild card where you didn't know what to expect from night to night. And to put that player and make him the point guard and take the ball out of LeBron James' hands, again, that's basketball malpractice to me. Could Russell Westbrook have made more sense for a different team? Possibly. But putting him on this team, terrible idea. It's been executed terribly. And I don't know what happens because nobody wants him. The guy's making $44 million, and he made one shot inside the arc last night. Like, and then the other nights where he can't buy a shot from behind outside the arc. You know, there are nights where he gets six, eight to turnovers. There's nights where he gets no turnovers. You don't know what you're getting from him. So at this point... I, I, that's a, that's a part of the, the the roster construction that's that's just tough. And when I hear Kurt Rambis is a guy that's trying to give Frank Vogel pointers, like if I was Frank Vogel, I'd be like, what the hell did I sign up for? Where Kurt Rambis thinks he has any right to tell me how to coach a basketball team? Frank Vogel won a freaking championship. Kurt Rambis has not done anything as an NBA head coach at all. He, yeah. As assistant coach, he sat next to Phil Jackson for a couple of championships, I guess. That's all he's accomplished as a coach. Like I, I mean, is and some of these things, you know, you, you know, you hear, you know, you know, Vogel, you know, they ask him about benching Russ. He's like, hey man, I just played the guys who wanted to win. Certainly, that's not gonna go well in the locker room. But I don't think he cares anymore. I think he's just like, yo, whatever. I won a championship. These people don't respect me. They only gave me a one year extension after winning the championship. They're gonna fire me, whatever. But I'm, I'm just out here for the vibes at this point. But I mean, this, this is, this is bad, man. This is really bad. Yeah, yeah, it's not ideal. Um... Uh, to me, I, I just don't know. They're not in a position right now where I'm like, you fire Vogel, there's like a clear alternative. I mean, is the alternative, yeah, we're just going to hire Kurt Rambis? I mean, you know, maybe that, that maybe that's the only shakeup that can, they can do. Because if, like, if going, they do that, LeBron James should retire immediately. Yeah, I don't think they would. He should. I, mean, I, I, I wouldn't wish that on LeBron James to have to play for Kurt Rambis. That would be, yeah. I mean, that would be a clown show. I mean, think about that. Kurt Rambis in 2022, coaching the Los Angeles Lakers, telling LeBron James about what he should be doing on the basketball court. Or again, what are we talking about here? That I mean, again, the, the fact that he's even in a position where he's making these decisions. And where the hell is Rob Palenka? I'm hearing about Kurt Rambis telling everybody what to do and change, making these suggestions. Isn't Rob Palenka supposed to be the president of basketball operations? Where has he been? Why haven't I heard from him? What yeah. was the purpose of leaking that article to the athletic? That's another thing I don't understand, Kendall, because you said it best. When a coach is on the hot seat, he's almost never going to get off. 
and his firing is inevitable. You told me that a long time ago, and you're yeah. only two guys I've ever seen overcome that. Uh, Tom Coughlin, and there was somebody else I was thinking. Oh, and last year, Mike Budenholzer. Only two guys in the history of sports I've ever seen overcome that, where yeah. you're on a hot seat, and you overcome it by winning a championship, and therefore you are you have an extended pass of probably not being on the hot seat any longer. Basically. Otherwise, everyone else, you get on that hot seat, you're eventually going to be gone. It's, it's inevitable. What's the purpose of saying we're evaluating a coach on a game-to-game basis? What does that mean? Like, I don't even understand that. Have you not been paying attention to the 44 other games they played this season? What have you been doing during that time? How is it now you're deciding I'm now evaluating from a game-to-game basis? And how does watching them lose by 37 points make you deem, well, I think we're going to keep them? What has to happen? Do they have to lose by 44 points? Do they have to lose by 50? Okay, they win a game. Does that mean he's not off the hot seat? No, because you're saying he's still on the hot seat. What happens now when they lose a home game to Indiana? Like, what are the parameters of this evaluation that you're talking about? It's nonsense. And there's no benefit to doing it. Either you put it out there and either you're going to have players. If you put it out there to kind of tell the fans, hey, man, we're going to get rid of this guy. Well, now what happens if the players play hard for him because they want to keep him? Now you've messed that situation up. Or if you put it out there to try to say, uh, hey, we need to maybe get these guys going. What happens to the players here that he might get fired and say, all right, well, good. Let's tank these next few games. We can get this guy out of here. Like, I don't think you can win any in any way by leaking this article, which is why I think that L.A. Times article was damage control because it was stupid to put it out there in the first place. And just disrespectful. The guy won a championship. I understand he's had issues. His rotations have been bad this year. I'm not gonna, I'm not the biggest Frank vocal defender. But to put it out there in public that the guy that won a championship two years ago is on a game-to-game basis, I don't even know. Again, I don't even know what that means. And I think for Laker fans, they deserve a lot better than that. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't say it any better. Let's move on to the last topic for today. Much of the basketball world was surprised when ESPN's Jonathan Gavoni reported that teenage phenom Shaden Sharp will be deemed eligible to enter the 2022 NBA draft this season. Sharp elected to graduate high school early and enroll at the University of Kentucky this winter and turns 19 in May. Up to this point, John Kyle Parry, the head coach, had been adamant that Sharp will not suit up for the Wildcats this season, even though he's eligible to play this semester. The plan has been for Sharp to practice with the team and potentially play for Kentucky next season, according to the Athletic. Uh, UK and Sharp's camp were hoping to keep his draft eligibility under wraps in order to not stir controversy about him potentially entering the draft before ever playing a game at Rupp Arena. Kendall, we'll get to how UK has handled the situation in a bit. But follow, you follow the high school recruiting game as close as anyone. Our listeners, of course, know how much we do coverage on the NBA draft. In your eyes, if Sharp were to enter this prospective NBA draft, where would he rank in terms of the class? Um, Shaden Sharp? Um, I think you have to slot him below. He's got He's below the, the top bigs that everyone's talking about. Paolo Bencaro, Jabari Smith, Chad Holmgren, in some order, those guys tend to be the top three that you mostly see. And then, you know, you've got the two Jadens, Jaden Hardy, Jaden Ivey, uh, some of the guards that people are looking at. Um, I, I feel like he joins that crop of guys um, okay. as a guy who could go anywhere from three to three to three to six, seven. 
I, I can't imagine him falling any lower than that because and that's this is assuming he doesn't play a game. You know, if he continues his path of sitting out and then uh, enters the NBA draft just based off of what he's done in high school, I think he's a guy that could go in the top three. Um, but I think he's probably more likely to go somewhere between four and six. Uh, he could be the top guard taken in this draft. I mean, really, a lot of times draft range depends on the need of the team's drafting. And so if you have a team that doesn't need a big, he could wind up going two, you know, or right. three. Um, right. So uh, because I, I, you know, I would probably slot him ahead of Jaden Ivey, who is – I would think by I would most too. people's accounts, the best guard in this draft. He's not a point guard, Shaden Sharp, but if you're just saying the best non-big in this draft, most people would say Jay and Ivy, and I would maybe take Shaden Sharp ahead of him. He's a better athlete, uh, he's a year younger, um, better shooter. Uh, you know, he's just not a point guard. So it's really, you know, do you, do you prefer your guy, Anthony Edwards? Do you prefer your guy in the Morant ball category? And Ivy isn't really a pure point guard either. So that's part of the reason why I don't really dive into him as a prospect as much as maybe some other people do. Um, so, and then the debate becomes between him and him and Jaden Hardy. I mean, and Jaden Hardy coming out of high school would have been ranked higher, I think, than Shaden Sharp. But based off how he's played with Ignite. We've, we've seen Ignite has been some up and down play, to put it kindly. 100%. Um, and so that is, that has hurt his draft stock. And so, now we go back to is the mystery of Shaden Sharp more attractive than what we've seen with Jaden Harden? I think it would be to NBA scouts, which is uh, some would say not the right way of going about it because one guy just hasn't played and the other guy has played. Um, but with that being said, yeah, I think that uh, I think Sharp would would slot around there. Yeah, now now and that makes sense to me, and I, I and I, I I think that that would make sense that he would be in that you know outside of the top three in terms of a big board, you know, does something get weird with the lottery where a team that really needs a, a guard or a guy on the wing takes a shot on him before one of those three bigs possibly. But I think for most people, he'd probably slot right behind there. And now you're in that conversation with those other guards. I want to put Johnny Davis in that conversation too, because if you have not watched Wisconsin, to put on that Wisconsin tape or put on the next time Wisconsin plays, because that boy is real. Um, but with that being said, uh, what about the situation with Kentucky? I mean, do you expect him to play at this point, and why isn't he playing? I don't really understand it on my end. I don't understand this idea that they thought they could keep under wraps that he can enter the NBA draft. How the hell were they going to do that? Were they going to, uh, you know, hide his birth certificate? Were they going to, uh, you know, you know, you know, you know, uh, just hide the NBA rule book? Were they going to burst it, you know, you know, light it into flames that nobody could find out? Were yeah. they going to scrub the website for the NBA rule book? Like, I don't understand how they thought they could hold his draft stock excuse me his draft eligibility under wraps you yourself weren't surprised that this information that he'd be eligible knowing his age and knowing the situation that he was playing college basketball this year not playing games but playing for a team you know practicing with them at school he yeah i mean when he reclassified and enrolled early my first thought was well he's probably gonna be in the draft no one's no one was talking about it so i didn't think too hard about it but that was like that was a very strong part of my mindset was, well, I mean, part of the reason I think we had a conversation about yeah we did about you know whether or not they should play him and I was like part of the reason why I was playing is I don't know if he's gonna be there next year yeah. you know if he if he wanted to just say I'm gonna go to the NBA because I'm done with high school now 
then why, you know, why would you not play him? You know, <laughs> you get him for nothing. Um, so to me, I think, I think that the, what they, I think the reason they weren't playing him, it sounds like there was some confusion about would he be able to enter based off of when he graduated because he didn't graduate before the start of the NBA season. That was what was said apparently at the time. I didn't even hear that at the time. So I just assumed he was going to be eligible anyway. Um, but that was initially why people weren't jumping the gun on he's going to be in this year's draft was because there was confusion about when he graduated. But if for whatever reason, John Zagaboni's reporting is saying that that has been cleared up and that he will be eligible, you know, maybe the NBA is just like, eh, who cares? <laughs> let's get him. Yeah. Let's get him in now. He's ready. Um, for whatever reason, he's now eligible. Well, now if I'm Kentucky, I think you have to play. I know that that may scare you because now it's like, well, if he plays great, then he's a guaranteed nah, he, guy. Yeah, he definitely is out of there. Yeah, now there's no chance he's he's coming he's coming back. Um, it screws their next year's recruiting class uh, entirely. Um, they already missed out on Derek Lively, yeah. um, who was a big that was a big uh, loss for them, losing him out to Duke. But Shaden Sharp was still. He was the linchpin of that class. He was the number one player in the country uh, coming into next season. So for him to not be there regardless is going to be a huge loss for them. They thought that this was supposed to be their their you know return to having those types of guys. And, I mean, they still bring in Chris Livingston and Sky Clark and some of these guys, but it's not the class that they thought it was going to be losing out on Lively and now potentially losing out on Sharp. But, yeah, I mean, the assumption is that can you – that he would stick around NIL being the number one player in the country is going to Kentucky. You're going to make a lot of money, uh, but you're not making lottery pick money. So it's, no. it's yeah. you know, plus endorsements. Like that's doesn't make any sense for him to come back regardless of what happens. If he's eligible to enter the draft, unless he gets injured or unless he looks terrible, like a BJ Boston or something like that, it doesn't make sense for him to, to not enter the draft. So I, I, I say now, if you're shading sharp, it becomes a conversation. Do I play or do I just, you know, do these do these dunks on the layup line for a couple weeks? <laughs> yeah. Chill, go to class, maybe not go to class if you're, yeah. if you're you know, if you're saying I'm going to go to yeah. NBA. But regardless, <laughs> uh, you know, be on the team and then immediately sign with an agent and just go to the NBA, sight unseen, you're a guaranteed top 10 pick if you do that. If that's probably the the smartest play for him. That's not the competitors' play. That's not the you know the most fun route probably for him. But it's the easiest, safest way to the money to the NBA, uh, you know, status. Uh, but for Kentucky, if they want to get anything out of this Shaden Sharp uh, recruitment and anything out of him as a player, they got to play him now. They're also not good enough. I think they're they're better than I expected them to be, mm-hmm. but I still don't think they're good enough to win an actual championship without them. So, if you're not good enough to win without them, why not take the best player in high school basketball and say, "Well, let's put him on the team. Let's see what he's got. Even if he's giving you 13 minutes a game, 15 minutes a game." Yeah, it's got to be better than some of the rotation guys that he has playing for them. I think to me, Coach Calipari has a little bit of an identity crisis or an identity situation. He's gonna have to figure out with this because. You know, he's been the, the big one-and-done guy, the big, I'm just here to get my guys paid and get my guys money the fastest way possible. He looks kind of phony a little bit in this situation where he has a player who's eligible for the NBA draft, but it seems like he's working to keep him out of it. I've never seen Coach Cal 
at least not the way he presents himself. That doesn't make any sense, right? Be the so kind of guy his, to do that. Not for his gimmick. Not for what the he's guy about. The guy Wagner. He told him, I'm pulling your scholarship. You can't come back to Memphis. Yeah, yeah. You know, That's you been his... have to leave because you're going to be a top 10 pick. Yeah, and, and you know, neither here to, the, to, to praise nor criticize that approach but that's been who he is that's just that's that's what he's and that's what he's promoted to this was the same guy that said you know getting five first round picks in the nba draft was more important than winning a national championship championship. and that he that the nba draft draft night is the most important night of the year for his program and part of me now is like i mean does that only count for if they actually suit up for coach cal <laughs> like is that only like is that, he, is that, if i get something out of it yeah does, does, does it does it does it if there's no benefit for him because there really isn't much benefit for him right now for this kid to be just practicing except maybe you got a great you know scout team guy like i mean that's literally the only <laughs> okay yeah great scout, scout team about guy. It, i'm sure he's cut, cutting these guys up and kite in practice who's the most do you remember who the most high profile player was to go to kentucky but never play again why can't I? Uh, I don't know. Who's that? And you, it's shocking to think about it now because the guy never really talks about going to Kentucky. Right. Uh, and it's freedom. And it's cancer. Ah, that's true. Remember, yes. he's got number one, number two, three yeah, player in the top, country. Top three player in the country. Coming sure. out of Turkey. But because he had t- he had gotten paid overseas, he wasn't eligible to play. Nowadays, that wouldn't matter. But so he, he just was he was there, but he wasn't playing in games. He ended up being what was number three pick in the draft, like. But he never talks about Cal Perry. Rarely talks about Ennis Cantor. Yep. Uh, in part because you know he also isn't a superstar. I'm sure if Cantor was great, he'd take all the credit. But, um, but also you know Cantor doesn't really talk about Kentucky. Like it's not really a big deal. And that's this would be that you know yeah. if Shane Sharp doesn't play play a game. Yeah. So I just I think there's a little bit. But of this a... one would be out of his control, or this one would be in his control. He could play him if he wants to. Right, but that's what I'm trying to say. But I guess for him, you know, is there a benefit to him playing him now with this team that's kind of good and you know maybe could do some make some noise without him when you really need him next year? We right. all we all we all agree next year they really kind of need him to be the dog, top dog, the guy. You know, they were trying a, to be slick. They were trying game. to make sure that nobody, you know, keep him under wraps. People don't really even know. They don't even know he's eligible. And the and question then, becomes: Why does his family? seem to be okay with this or are they are they playing cow they i mean they that could be happening they could I mean, be, oh yeah no it. we're definitely coming back and they're like we ain't coming back yeah we've seen that stuff happen before um everything that we had heard about his recruitment was that they were they loved kentucky yeah. you know it was i mean it, there wasn't really a second option it was very clear he was going to kentucky for a very long time um he has the same People, same AAU coach, same people in his corner that, you know, Shea Gilders Alexander had, you know, and they loved what Cal did with Shea. And now, you know, so they were they were they were not hesitant to send him to Kentucky. It's just, I mean, this is a different situation. You know, this is circumstances change. <laughs> you know. Uh I I would be surprised. And and there was a report initially from one Kentucky reporter that was like you know, the plan is still for him to go to Kentucky next year, regardless. Then there was another report from another Kentucky reporter, Ben Roberts, who said that he had a source saying, I'd be shocked if he was at Kentucky next year. I Maybe I was that source because I echo. <laughs> I would be completely flabbergasted if Shaden Sharp suits up one game for Kentucky next season. This season, I wouldn't be shocked. I would be, 
I would say it's a smart thing to do is to have him play. Yeah. But um but but next season it there's really we always say it, I always say it, whenever there is money involved, a lot of money involved, typically the decision is made where the money is. And the money decision is to enter the draft, regardless of whether or not you're playing or not, is to enter the draft next season. There doesn't make any financial sense for you not to. So that's what I think's gonna happen. And NBA fans, get on YouTube, fig, you know, you know, wherever you can get your information on these uh these, these young guys, you know, or get to up. the layup line at Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, yes, I mean, well, look, Coach Cal was telling Big Blue Nation, "Hey guys, you people on my back about wanting to see Shaden Sharp show up to Rupp Arena early when he's doing his workout when he's on the layup line, and you'll get to see Shaden Sharp." That's what he told them a couple of days ago. <laughs> so, so unless you're, you know, if you're in Lexington, you actually can go see him, but otherwise. Uh, you know, get on YouTube, do your research, because this guy is going to be a big household name in the NBA draft if he indeed does enter this uh, offseason. But that's going to do it for this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. Thank you guys all for checking us out. Of course, you can catch all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast. You can find us individually on social media. Kendall's on Twitter, New Gen Ken. You can find me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. And on Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys again for checking us out. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.